0: Just before you sit down, I need to read a scripture to you because I feel very strongly that a lot of people have come here tonight because they're desperate for something. There's a desperation and a hunger in the atmosphere. But I want to show you what God does when His presence is in a place. The Bible says in Isaiah 64 verse 1, it says, Oh, that you would rend the heavens just like the heavens are rend right now that you would come down and the mountains might shake at your presence when the presence of God is there the mountains will shake at His presence every mountain in your life must shake at the presence of God that is here in this place the mountains will shake at your presence as fire burns brushwood As fire causes water to boil, to make your name known. His name will be made known to your adversaries. Everyone that comes against you. Every adversary that you are facing right now. His name will be made known to them. That the nations may tremble at your presence. When you did awesome things, God is going to do awesome things in your life, even this night. I feel how many have come with a burden. There is a burden for children where you've been praying for breakthrough for your children. Those children that you thought were lost. The work that He has begun in them, He is well able to accomplish. There's at least three people that this word is for. For your children, those teenagers that have gone wayward, that are not serving God as they ought to. He is well able to complete the work that He has begun in them. You and your household shall be saved. for those who are battling with depression and anxiety may that spirit go even right now the spirit of heaviness is removed for the spirit of praise put on that garment of praise and lift up a shout and begin to praise the King of Kings in this place that is where your victory lies where despite what you're going through you can praise the King of Kings that you can lose a little bit of dignity, that you don't worry about who's next to you, who's in front of you, who's behind you, but you begin to jump and praise and shout. I don't need to come and lay hands on you. The presence of God can touch you even right now. There's more, but you can have your seats. We will get there. We will get there. How many of you can feel the presence of God in this place? Amen. Before we get into the Word, I just want to take a moment to honor Prophet Leon and Prophetess Esther Lee. It is a privilege and a great honor to be able to minister to you. And I do not take it lightly. I, I, don't, I feel like I haven't been in Centurion for a while. <laughs> it's so refreshing to see your faces. <laughs> And if you, if you can do me this favor, if you can just remind your face that I can see you. <laughs> but it's really a privilege to be here to, to minister to you and I don't take it lightly. This pulpit is very sacred. It is a very sacred pulpit. Why? Because the presence of God is here. It is not something to mess around with. And I honor the anointing upon their life and I honor them and what they've done in my life. You know, I was thinking when we shared at the importation yesterday. I was thinking, what testimony do I give of importation? Which one should I share? Because there is so many. And I thank them for all that they do in my life and my family's life. Without them, I can honestly say I would not be here. They took us in when nobody else did. And we we lived in their house. We ate their food for six months. So... It's really a privilege to be here. And I have a word that's on my heart that is, it's a burden for you, this word, because I need you to know what you carry and who you are. The, the title is Unshakable Assurance. That you can have an unshakable assurance of who you are and what it means to be a believer, what it means to be the redeemed, to be. Purchased with a price what it means to carry and walk in an inheritance Because that is what we have So I'm going to read a lot of scripture But I'm also going to be sensitive to what the Holy Spirit wants to do Because he's already come in this evening And he's touching many people even right here So I'm going to be sensitive to that And we will minister to people But let me just get to the Scriptures. So first of all, let's go to 1 Peter 2, verse 4. 1 Peter 2, verse 4. Thank you. Coming to Him as to a living stone, rejected indeed by men, but chosen by God, and precious, you also... So, he's talking about Jesus. But then he says, you also, now he's talking about us. As living stones are being built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Next verse. Therefore it is also contained in the Scripture. Behold, I lay in Zion a chief cornerstone, elect, precious, and he who believes on him will by no means be put to shame. Just go back quickly. How many of you know what Zion is? Okay. I I, I need, okay, let let me, I I forgot. I forgot I need to do this. If I'm going to ask you a question that requires you to respond, I'm going to warn you beforehand because Usually how this goes is I talk and you listen, but not so tonight. Tonight I talk, you respond. <laughs> okay? Is that okay? Can we do that? But I know that it, requ- it requires some preparation because when you don't talk for long, then you don't talk at all. <laughs> so don't sit on your mouth and you can respond. So, and it's not a trick question either. What is Zion? Zion. The church, it's a mountain, yes, but it represents the church. So Zion represents the church. So he's saying, it is also contained in Scripture, Behold, I lay in Zion, within Zion, within the church, a chief cornerstone, that is the Christ, elect precious, and he who believes on Him will by no means be put to shame. Say that is for me. It means if you believe on Him, there's going to be a lot that's going to come out tonight. But you need to be sensitive to hear what the Word is saying. Because how many of you know that you who believe on Him will by no means be put to shame? Meaning shame will not be your portion because you believe on Him. So if you are experiencing shame... It is not your portion and you can reject that shame because he who believes on him will by no means be put to shame. Okay. So we are built up, the Bible says that we are built up a spiritual house to offer spiritual sacrifices that are acceptable to God, pleasing to God. But then it goes on in verse 7 and it says, Therefore to you who believe, he is precious. But to those who are disobedient... The stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. Next verse. And a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble being disobedient to the word to which they also were appointed. So he's talking about a people that are disobedient. They, the chief cornerstone will become a stumbling stone. So think of the Pharisees and the Sadducees, when Jesus the Messiah came on the scene. Even though they knew the Scriptures, they could quote the Torah better than any one of us sitting here tonight. They knew every word that was written by the prophets. But they could not recognize the fulfillment of every prophecy standing in front of them. I always think about that because, and it's a danger to become too knowledgeable but no application no practicing let me give you an example I know by His stripes we were healed I know that He said that we must go out and cast out demons heal the sick raise the dead do all of these things that's what the Word says it's very well known knowledge in the Scripture most of you know this When was the last sick person you prayed for and they got healed? When was the last person you ministered to and they got saved? When was the last demon you cast down? Be careful not to have the knowledge only and not the application. And the reason I say this is because when you first get saved, you don't care about the knowledge, you care about the application. You get saved, you have an encounter, the fire is in you, you just want to go spread it to somebody. You make mistakes, you don't know. People ask you questions, you can't answer them, but all you know, it's like the blind man when Jesus healed him, he was interrogated by the religious leaders. They said, but who healed you on the Sabbath? They can't do this, it's not okay. So much interrogation that the blind man just said, I don't know, I don't know. But what I do know is I was blind and now I see. That is the attitude we should have. I don't... you know, because people say... Sorry, I'm just going this way because it's... I don't know, it's coming out like this. But people know that they have authority over demons, but then if a demon manifests in front of them, they do nothing. Because they don't want to do something wrong. Or, I don't know if I'm going to do the right thing. Rather do something than nothing. Because I promise you, before I prayed for somebody and they got healed, I prayed for somebody and they didn't get healed. Before I prayed for somebody to get saved, I got rejected and laughed at and mocked. But if I gave up after that, I wouldn't have carried on and and been used how I've been used. The same is true for every man of God. You can ask Benny Hinn, he's prayed for healing for many people. Thousands of people have been healed at Benny Hinn Crusades and meetings. But has every person he prayed for been healed? I can guarantee you not. Reinhard Bonnke, one of the most successful evangelists ever, having meetings of over a million people, hundreds of thousands getting saved in an instant, millions over the crusade, millions of souls. But I promise you now, there are people that he ministered to that never accepted salvation. So we need to understand What is our role and what is God's role? Because last week we spoke about whose report will you believe? And the Bible says if you work with God, He will work with you. So if you are hungry to be anointed and to be used by God, the requirement is that you go and do something. God will never use you if you don't do anything. We can get into a 10-step process of how to be used by God, but I can promise you, if you do nothing, He won't use you. So we need to step out. Because people ask this question, but what if they reject me? What if they don't receive salvation? What if they don't get healed? What if the demon doesn't come out? What if it does? What if they do? So, how do you measure your... Stepping out, how do you measure your working with God by what you can do? If I pray for somebody, I've done my part. If God heals them, then God healed them. If God doesn't heal them, then God doesn't heal them. But I prayed for them. There is a requirement in being a believer. To minister to people, it's not for the pastor, for the preacher, for the... There's no prerequisite or qualification. You don't have to have a degree. You don't need to know the 10-step process on how to witness to somebody. Just share what you have. Let me ask this question. How many of you can say that somebody convinced you to be saved? Like they convinced you that only because of what they said, you now born again as a believer. No one. Because it wasn't what they said that got you saved, it was God that saved you. So if you don't do, if, if you do three out of the four steps correct, but they accept Jesus, you've done well. <laughs> I'm, I'm sharing this because. I don't know. I feel this very strongly on my heart because my experience, I mean, if I can pray for somebody in a wheelchair that tells me that they were at a Benny Hinn crusade and Benny Hinn prayed for them and they didn't get healed. And I've been looking for this guy in a wheelchair. God told me that there's going to be a guy in the wheelchair. I've been looking for him the whole night. The first and only one I saw the whole night. And I'm thinking, God's going to raise this person out of the wheelchair. I go and he starts talking to me this, but do you think I didn't pray for him? When he said Benny Hinn prayed for me and nothing happened and I've been to many ministers and I've been to many doctors and I've done all these things. Do you think it stopped me from praying for him? No. I still prayed for him. Why? Because God's not going to heal him unless I do something. I must do something. And the condition of Christianity is this. And I'll tell you this testimony because I only really realized the full testimony of it. Just this week, uh, is it okay if we do this? I'll, I'll come back to the scriptures. I have a lot to read, but I was evangelizing once in Pavilion in Durban, and I had just gotten saved. I was freshly saved. I didn't know anything. I think I knew. I remember when I got saved, I knew one verse. I knew Acts one verse eight. But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. You'll be my witnesses. And I knew Psalm 15. Psalm 15 and Psalm 24 are very similar. I know Psalm 15. Who may ascend the hill of the Lord? Him with clean hands and a pure heart. I knew two verses. I didn't know anything else. And I went evangelizing and I was ministering to people. And we were praying for people. People were getting touched. And I knew nothing. And I remember I went to a group of three people. They were my age, they were in my sort of friends circle that I, I didn't know them, but I knew the type of people they were. Were the type of people that were in my friends circle before I got saved. You know, it's very easy to minister to somebody who you see as lowly or you don't know and as a far stranger. Now you must minister to people that are your equal if you can say it that way. I don't know how else to explain it, you'll understand what I mean. So I went myself, one against three people and I asked them, can I pray for you? Is there anything that I can pray for? anything that was my strategy can I pray for anything if do you need healing is there a family member that's sick is something can I do just pray for anything because I had experienced the power of prayer so I wanted to just pray for these three people and the, the guy started interrogating me saying well why are you here I said we just want to minister to people and just share the love of God I don't know I don't have scripture to answer you I don't know the word so I'm answering these questions, then they start interrogating me. They say, "Okay, who convicts you of sin?" And I'm like, oh, "I don't know what is, The Holy Spirit, what does the Holy Spirit convict you of? I'm like, "Of sin. Oh, I, I don't understand the question. Why are you?" They started interrogating me, and I, I, I felt so uh, belittled, because these three people were Christians, and these three Christians knew more than me. And they started belittling me with their knowledge because they were saying that I'm not do- I don't know what I'm doing. But what were they doing? And this is the condition of the church. Is that we have people that gather knowledge and they know things because I went home and I felt so bad and I felt so... Condemned I felt like I was a failure. I felt like I was doing the wrong things because of how they were challenging me And I didn't know how to answer them So I went and studied and I found the verse that it says that the Holy Spirit convicts you of sin righteousness and judgment and I'm like Okay, that's the answer to the question they were and I rea- the more I studied the scripture with the questions that they asked me The more I realized that they, how much they were trying to catch me out so But the people that were receiving me were the people that weren't Christians, and that was shocking. That here I am trying to minister, trying to do what Jesus said we should do. I don't have all the knowledge and all the skill maybe, but I'm doing something. Then we have Christians that have the knowledge and the skill, but aren't doing anything. And what they do is they start crushing the ones that are trying to do something. Because, and, and Prophet Leon shared this in our leadership session. He said, we think we must be mature before we can minister. But we minister first and then we mature. And I realized that that's what happened. That is exactly what these people were doing. But I want to challenge you to do something. One of the greatest testimonies I ever heard was a man by the name of Benson Idahoza, And we know, them. We know if you've done Global School of Ministry, you will know. Benton Idahoza, it just got saved. I think he was 14 years old. He got saved in a church and he heard his pastor preaching and he was preaching about how you can heal the sick. You can cast out demons. You can raise the dead. And he went to the pastor after the service and he said to him, are you telling me that I can raise the dead? And the pastor says, yes, that is what the word says. That is what Jesus said. So he asked the pastor, have you done it? And the pastor said, no, I have not done it. And then he said, but, but you're saying that I can do it. And he said, yes, you can do it. He had just gotten saved. And you know what he did? He went and got on his bicycle. And he rode throughout all the villages in the region looking for a dead person. When was the last time you were looking for a dead person? A spiritually dead person. One that you could give and share the life that you have received. And so Benson Idahoza goes into all these villages and he's looking for a dead person. And he finally finds a lady whose child had just died. And he rejoices. <laughs> because he now has an opportunity to do what the Word says to do. So he prays for the child, the child comes back to life. And he raised his first person from the dead at the age of 14 after having been saved for a few weeks. And he raised many more. And let me say it this way. The moment you step out and start doing, you begin to have an experience with God. We spoke about whose report will you believe. You begin to build a report That you begin to know what God can do, not by knowledge of the word or what a pastor taught you or what a minister shared with you or what you've heard about, but what you have seen and handled. As John said, we have handled and seen and tasted these things. We have seen firsthand what Jesus could do. That is what begins to happen in your life as a report is being built, that you can now walk and say I'm going to pray for this person whose shoulder is not working because I've prayed for thousands of shoulders that are not working and I've seen God heal those shoulders. That I'm going to pray for this sickness, whatever it is, this terminal sickness, I'm going to pray for it because I've seen God heal people of cancer. That is what is available to us. That is the excitement of a life that is led by the Spirit. Is because you can begin to walk with God and then He walks with you. You work with God and He works with you. Maybe I shared all of that for just one person who's thinking, man, I must just pray for that guy at work. Can I tell you the secret? This is the secret, not the book. The secret. This is my secret. <laughs> just do it. What does that mean? Do you know how many times? And I maybe this is everyone. Maybe it's just me. And in fact, no, I know it's not just me. I know a lot of the ministers do this. But I'll just be like, you come. Let me pray for you. I don't know what I'm going to pray for. I don't even know who you are. I don't even have one idea. But maybe God just highlighted you to me, so I'm stepping, I'm, I'm, I'm working with God because He's now highlighted somebody. Then you come to the front, then God starts to work with me, and then He'll say, Then I'll get something like, uh, I don't know, depression or like some just something. Then at least I have some direction. But now, <laughs> what do you do when the person's standing in front of you, Kaleno? Okay, just come stand you. Now, I've called Kalilo out. I said I have a word for him. I'm standing in front of all of you. Now, what's going to happen? You best believe he's going to get a word. (laughs) You best believe he's going to get a word. Why? Because I stepped out and worked with God. Because even if I didn't get a word, God still has something to say to him. God still has something to say to him. I can give you a word but I'm not going to. <laughs> Maybe later, let's see how hungry you are. <laughs> but the point is just do it. <laughs> do it so that it's too late. Send that message now to that person. Say, when, tomorrow at the office, can I just see you for five minutes? Then what? <laughs> yes, sure, no problem. Okay. Now you have to now do something. <laughs> And don't cop out and say, no, I just want to talk about that report that we had to do this weekend. No. Just take this step. Let me explain this to you. I'm really going off now, but it's fine. When Peter walked on the water, this is what happened. Jesus came on the water, and they thought it was a ghost. You're The disciples, the disciples give us so much hope because the disciples think that Jesus is a ghost. They pretend in front of everyone to understand and then when Jesus comes away and tells the parables and stuff, then they go and ask him, Lord, yo, Jesus, please just tell us, what did you mean there? Can you please just explain this, we don't understand. I, I sometimes think many of the questions were just for me. When Peter says, what do you mean by this parable, Lord? I don't understand. And then he explains. And I can just imagine Jesus like, oh, okay, Peter, this is what it means. Let me just show you. But, but what happened was Jesus was walking on the water. And Peter sees that it's Jesus. Well, Jesus said, I know it's me. And then he said, if it is you, Lord, let me walk on this water. And so what happens is he gets out of the boat and he begins to walk on water. And what is he focused on? He's focused on Jesus. And while he's focused on Jesus, he's just doing. He's just walking on the water. Because he's focused on Jesus. Okay, let me explain it this way. You don't need to understand what you're going to say to a person when you minister to them. You don't need to work it out. Just keep your eyes on Jesus. And then when the eyes are on Jesus, the things that don't make sense will just happen. You will walk on the water. You will speak with wisdom. You will speak with boldness because this is the challenge. And I can hear your thoughts in the atmosphere. But what will I say? But why will they listen to me? I don't know the right stuff. I don't know the scriptures. I don't know what to say. Well, let me tell you what the Word says. Do not worry what you will say in that day for the Holy Spirit will fill your mouth. So just like when Peter walked on the water, he wasn't worried about anything else, he was looking at Jesus. The moment he began to think about what is happening, how he is doing what he is doing, that is the moment he began to sink. But even in the sinking, Jesus put his hand out and took him. So when you face with somebody, just do. (laughs) just (laughs) Kalelo is hungry for that word (laughs) just do you can have your seats so he begins to look at the storm he begins to look at the waves the circumstances the how if you do this I can promise you now if you've ever just stepped out in boldness and began to speak to somebody and minister to them Afterwards, you'll be shocked. It happens even here. <laughs> sometimes after service, I'm shocked at what I said. I was speaking to Pastor Martin about this in the week. I sometimes will say something and then I'm like, dear Lord, I hope that's what the word says. Like, let me just, because you know. And then you go find it and then it's, it, it's, it works out. <laughs> but you have to be led by the Holy Spirit. What is being led by the Holy Spirit look like? It looks like surrender. But it's not the surrender that we think. We think surrender means that I must just sit here and be like, I'll just turn the mic off and shut my mouth and not do anything. No. If I want to surrender, it means that I must surrender and be sensitive to what God wants to do in the place. Just be sensitive to what God wants to do. You know, many people are looking and waiting for an opportunity. You think, I'm just waiting for my opportunity for ministry. I used to think like this. When I got a prophecy that I was called to ministry, I thought, yes, it's going to be a glorious day. That day that my ministry manifests is going to be glorious. Sometime at some point, the Holy Spirit is going to come upon me so mightily. And He's going to grab my mouth and just begin to speak through me. And I'm just going to be a passenger on this journey. As I stand in whatever place it is, I'm going to stand in some shopping center on some step and thousands of people are going to gather and listen to what I have to say because the Holy Spirit is going to speak through me and it's going to be glorious, it's going to be wonderful. No. (laughs) That's not how it started. (laughs) How it started was, excuse me, sir, can I please pray for you? No. What? No. I'm fine. But your arm is broken. I can pray for you. No, no, no. Please. I don't want any. Not for me. They reject you like you're trying to sell them something. That's how ministry started. So my glorious vision of how ministry would be, I'm still waiting for that day. So... And I'm speaking to a lot of people here because you know what you carry, you know what you're called to. And you don't have to, it doesn't have to be pulpit ministry, you know what you carry. You know that you are good with children, you know that you are good with women, you know that you are good with men, you know that you can help people that have been rejected because you've been through rejection. You know that you can help people that have had addiction because you went through addiction. You know that you can help people that have got, are going through bondage because you were in bondage. You know what you carry. Stop waiting for a glorious opportunity to take place and just do something. So let me explain. Okay, so my, mine was a bit extravagant, but let me explain how some of you think. This is how you think. You think one day I'm going to be minding my own business and somebody is going to come and say, excuse me, can you please share Jesus with me? excuse me, can you please just, you know, my leg is really paining. Can you please just pray for my leg? Because I know that if you pray for my leg, then it'll be okay. So you're waiting for opportunity. But you know what that is? That is not the intentional living that Jesus called us to. Intentional living is having the mind of God for any situation and circumstance that you face. It means that when you drive in your car, and you drive past somebody else in a car, you are mindful of God's heart for that person. It means that when you walk in a shopping center, you are mindful of God's heart towards whoever you walk past, or whoever is in your proximity, that you create the opportunity, not wait for the opportunity. And what that means is, hey, listen, I heard that you are going through a difficult time. And I want to just tell you that I'm there for you. But also, I want to just pray a prayer with you. Do you mind if I can just pray a prayer with you quickly? Because I know that you're battling with something. I can see that you're going through a difficult time. Can I just pray with you? That is how you win someone. But that's not going to happen without you taking that step off. Eyes on Jesus. You don't need to work it out. I promise you now, I've been speaking for how long and none of it is my message. I, I don't know what's happening. But somebody needs to hear this. Because we are called as Zion the church. A place of His glory. Now there's one of two things. Either we believe what the Word says and what it is that we carry. And because we believe we can do or we don't believe it. But I'm telling you that you believe it. I know you believe it. So let's start doing something. How about that? Amen? Okay, you can have your seats. Now I can get to my message. (laughs) I don't... Where were we? Mount Zion. Oh no, that's the first verse. (laughs) Behold, I lay in Zion, a chief cornerstone, elect precious... And he who believes on Him will by no means be put to shame. Next verse. Therefore to you who believe, He is precious. But to those who are disobedient, the stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. Next verse. A stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. Next verse. They stumble being disobedient disobedient to the word to which they also were appointed. But you are a chosen generation. Oh, I think this is where we got to. You are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, His own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of Him who called you out of darkness into His marvelous light. Now, I'm really trying hard not to get derailed here because then we can go to John 1 verse 12 and we can talk about this glorious light that has called us out of darkness. But again, what I was sharing now, this is what has taken place in your life. He has called you out of darkness into His marvelous light. You now walk in the light. You carry the light. Why? Because Jesus is the light and the light is the life of men. That is what we carry. So it means that when you walk into any situation, you bringing that light. So when you come into an atmosphere, you carry the light that will change that atmosphere. Oh, I'm going to get derailed again. But when Elisha went into the house of the Shunammite woman whose son had just died, there was an atmosphere of death. But He brought an atmosphere of life and the sun came back to life. He didn't go in there and be like, oh no, there's there's death, It's death here. We don't submit to the darkness. The darkness cannot comprehend the light. Darkness and light is not opposite. Darkness is driven out by light. It has no power over light. If you've ever had a torch with a dead battery, you will know that even if you put that torch on with that tiny little bit of light, it still has power over darkness. It's not like the darkness now overpowers the light. No, it cannot. Anyway, let's carry on reading. Who once were not a people. So this is important. Peter is saying that he has called us as a chosen generation. He has called us as a people who were once not a people. So once we were not a people. But now we are a people of God who had not obtained mercy but now have obtained mercy. He's talking about the Gentiles because they did not have mercy but now they have obtained mercy. Okay? Beloved, I beg you as sojourners and pilgrims abstain from flesh. Okay, that's fine. We finish now for that portion. So... Coming back to that verse, there are. He's called us as a people to make as a as a house, as a building, as a temple, to make spiritual sacrifices that are pleasing to God. We were once not a nation, but now we are a nation. Amen. So let's go with that in mind to Jeremiah 33 verse 11, because I want to show you the prophecies of Jeremiah because Jeremiah prophesied to Israel and Judah that they would be in captivity in Babylon and, but he also prophesied that there would be redemption that would take place that there would be restoration that would take place and that they would once again inhabit the land of their people But everyone forgot about that prophecy except Daniel. And Daniel took the prophecy of Jeremiah and he took the time frame that Jeremiah gave. He began to fast and you can read about that in Daniel uh, chapter number 14, 7 or 14. And he begins to fast and the angel answers the fast and we know the story. Babylon's captivity ends and all these things. But this prophecy, of course, it is for the captivity of Israel and that they will once again go back to their land. But it also speaks of what will take place with the Messiah. It also speaks of what will take place with the Christ when He is crucified, when He is rose, rose again and what will take place after that, okay? So I'm going to show you this now. It says, The voice of joy and the voice of gladness. The voice of the bridegroom and the voice of the bride. The voice of those who will say praise the Lord of hosts For the Lord is good For His mercy endures forever And of those who will bring the sacrifice Now look at the key words Those who will bring the sacrifice of praise Into the house of the Lord For I will cause the captives of the land To return as at the first Says the Lord Then let's go to Jeremiah 30 verse 18 It says, Thus saith the Lord, Behold, I will bring back the captivity of Jacob's tents and have mercy on his dwelling places. The city shall be built upon its own mound and the palace shall remain according to its own plan. Okay? So, This prophecy is about the restoration of Jerusalem, the restoration of Israel. And we know that Ezra goes and rebuilds the temple. We know that um, Nehemiah rebuilds the wall and fortifies the city once again. And those prophecies came to pass. But it extends beyond just that. It also talks about something greater than that. How many of you know that God declares the end from the beginning? So when He gives this Word to Jeremiah, yes, it applies then, but it still applies now. Okay? Okay, so let's carry on. We can see that God is also talking about the church in these portions of Scripture. It's Jeremiah 30, 31, 32, 33, and 34. He's mentioning the church. He mentions the Christ. He mentions many things that we're going to look at now. And I'm sharing this all with you so that you can understand the fulfillment of prophecy, but also what it means for us that this fulfillment has taken place. What we have available to us. So, Jeremiah 31 verse 4. It says, Again I will build thee, and thou shalt be built. Okay? So, and God has a plan to reveal His glory on the earth. Because it is Zion that the glory of the Lord will dwell in Zion. Okay? Okay. So, okay, I'm just going to share the scriptures because there's a lot. (laughs) Jeremiah 32 verse 7. It says, behold, now please bear with me. This is, (laughs) I always joke about this, but I promise you now before God, I practice these names. I stand at home and I practice them. I ask Google, pronounce these words. And Google says in a robot voice what these names are. So bear with me because that's all very well until you stand here and you have to say words like regularly and all these things. I nailed that by the way. <laughs> Behold, Hanumal, the son of Shalom, your uncle, will come to you saying, Buy my field which is in Anatoth, for the right of redemption is yours to buy it. Okay? The right of redemption is yours. buy it now the context of this verse jeremiah is in prison he's in prison for prophesying that's rough he's in prison because he spoke the word of the lord and the word of the lord that he spoke is that judah and israel will be once again redeemed and they will inhabit the land of their people once again that is the prophecy he's prophesied captivity but then he prophesied redemption this is a case of practicing what you preach. Because now Jeremiah is about to buy a field in the land that he prophesied will be restored. Okay, so it's he's practicing. He believes fully in his prophecy. And he's trusting God for the fulfillment of his prophecy because he buys land in the region that he said will be restored. So he says, the right of redemption is yours. Then... In verse 8 it says, So Hanimal, Your my uncle's son came to me in the court of the prison according to the word of the Lord and said to me, please buy my field that is in Anatoth, which is in the country of Benjamin, for the right of inheritance is yours. So we have right of redemption and right of inheritance. And the redemption, yours. Buy it for yourself. Then I knew that this was the word of the Lord. So there's two things we need to take note of here there's the right of redemption and the right of inheritance. He's saying that this is the word of the Lord, that there will be redemption that will take place for this property, that there is redemption and inheritance. That is the word of the Lord in this situation. So then verse 9 says, So I bought the field. Now there's a purchase taking place. Are you guys maybe getting where we're going with this? There's a purchase that takes place. I purchased the field, I bought the field from Hanimal, the son of my uncle who was in Anatoth and weighed out to him the money Seventeen shekels of silver. Now, silver is always used for redemption. Silver is the currency of redemption. Okay. So he weighs out the money. Now, understand the conditions. Jeremiah is in prison. Now he's finding money to buy a field. This is an unusual circumstance that's taking place. Next verse. And I so, and I signed the deed. I think, let's read it in the King James Version. Just because I'm, I, I know the words that are going to come up. And I subscribed the evidence and sealed it and took witnesses and weighed him the money in the balances. So, he weighs the money, then he brings witnesses to see that the money is weighed, that it's the value is right, it's correct, Witnesses to see that the price has been paid. That his purchase is valid and authentic. Then verse 11 says, So I took the evidence of the purchase, both that which was sealed according to the law and custom, and that which was open. Okay, so now Jeremiah is saying he went and bought this field. He purchased it. And he took with him witnesses, which means more than two. Witnesses means more than two. There was more than two people that went with him as a witness. And then he said he took the one document which was sealed and another document which was open, another word revealed, and he took these two documents with the price that he was going to pay and he bought the field. Then verse 12, And I gave the evidence of the purchase unto Barach, the son of (coughs) Niriah, the son of Messiah, <laughs> Messiah, in the sight of Hanumal, <laughs> my uncle's son. It's just a slippery slope. Once you mess up one, you mess up them all. And in the presence of the witness, it, okay. <laughs> I have to share this because I preached the one service and I said all manner of, I try to say all manner of concopiscence and I said it so badly. And then I went and showed Prophet the recording And he just laughed at me. But then the next Sunday, he also shared the same scripture. And when he got to it, he told everyone about how I messed it up. But then it was like, I need to also get this right now. But when you you do these things, they just, and you just keep trying, but it keeps just, like Messiah, why do I say Messiah? (laughs) Anyway, okay. So, in the presence of the witnesses that subscribe to the book, the purchase before all. The Jews that sat in the court of the prison. So Jeremiah has now purchased this property. He has bought this land. It is now purchased. Then verse 13 says, And I charged Barak before them, saying, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, take these evidences, this evidence of the purchase, both which is sealed and this evidence which is open and put them in earthen vessels. Hmm. Earthen vessels, just remember that. That they may continue many days. Okay? For thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, houses and fields and vineyards shall be possessed again in this land. So we see instruction taking place. Jeremiah is instructing Barak with the word of the Lord, saying, here is the right of redemption. Here is the right of inheritance. Here is the evidence that it has been purchased. Here is the seal of this document. Here is the revealing of this document. Two documents. Take all of these evidences now and place them in an earthen vessel. Then it says in verse of verse 16 now when I had delivered the evidence of the purchase unto Barak the son of Neriah I prayed unto the Lord saying O Lord God behold thou hast made the heavens and the earth by thy great power and stretched out arm, and there is nothing too hard for thee hmm. there is nothing too hard for God there is nothing that is too hard for him. Note the context of this verse. There is nothing that is too hard for him. He is prophesying something. He, in his purchasing of a field and what the, all takes place in that purchasing is written here in the book of Jeremiah for us. It is a prophecy concerning us. And in that prophecy, there is a reminder to all of us sitting here tonight that there is nothing too hard for God whatever it is that you are facing right now, it is not too hard for God. You don't need to understand or know what is gonna take place or how it's gonna take place, but it is certainly not too hard for God. He is the one who created the heavens and the earth. He is the one who stretched out His arm with His great power. He is the same God that nothing is impossible for and He can turn around any of your situations. Have your seats. he's not just speaking about Israel physically being restored, but he's also talking about a greater thing that will take place he's talking about the covenant that God has established before the foundation of the earth that his son was crucified before the foundation of the earth. Jeremiah is now tapping into that reality and prophesying what will take place. So if you can understand what is taking place then you can understand. That nothing is too hard for God. That there will be nothing that you cannot overcome. I'll get to it now. There is nothing that can keep you down, there is nothing that can be held against you. I'm like trying so hard not to jump the gun here and just tell you about how you've been purchased and how you have been redeemed. And how you have an inheritance. And how you have been sealed. And how you carry something in an earthen vessel. Hmm. There is nothing too hard for the Lord God Almighty. Nothing. Have your seat. So let's carry on reading. Jeremiah 32 verse 26. Then came the word of the Lord to Jeremiah. 26. Yeah. Then came the word of the Lord unto Jeremiah, saying, Behold, I am the Lord, the God of all flesh. Is there anything too hard for me? Hmm. Next verse. Therefore, thus says the Lord God, Behold, I will give the city into, into the hand of the child. Is that right? Did we read 27? Did I say 27? Yes. No, 26. And then 27, this is what we never read. No, wait, go back one. Oh, I did read it. I knew there were two verses, but I felt like I only read one. Okay, that's fine. Let's go to Jeremiah 32 verse 37. So if God is asking Jeremiah, is there anything too hard for me? He's wanting to show that there is nothing too hard for him that you can believe that there is nothing too hard for God. Behold, I will gather them out of all countries, whither I have driven them in mine anger and in mine fury, in my great wrath, and I will bring them again unto this place, and I will cause them to dwell safely. Next verse. And they shall be my people, and I will be their God. So there was a people that was not a people once, And now they are a people. Can you see how this prophecy is connected to what we read about in Peter? Then, verse 39. And I will give them one heart and one way, that they may fear me forever for the good of them and of their children after them. So He he has something good for us, okay? It sounds a lot like Ephesians 4, verse 4, which says, There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is above all and through all, all in you all. Okay, maybe we must read it so that you can see who the all in all and who's all there. I said Ephesians 4 verse 4. I think we were in verse 6. Ephesians 4 verse 6. There is one body and one spirit, even as you are called in one hope of your calling. One Lord, one faith, one baptism. One God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all. (laughs) He is in you all. So Jeremiah is speaking about the things that will come after the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. He's talking about a salvation that will come to all, both Jew and Gentile. That is what has taken place as Romans 1 verse 16 says, for the Jew first and also the Greek. Galatians 3 verse 26 says, there is neither Jew nor Greek There is neither slave nor free, there is neither male nor female, for we are all one in Christ Jesus our Lord. So Jeremiah continues to speak in Jeremiah 32 verse 40. Are you still with me? Okay. He says, And I will make an everlasting covenant with them, that I will not turn away from them, to do them good, but I will put my fear in their hearts, that they shall not depart from me. Next verse. I will rejoice over them to do them good. He wants to do you good. And I will plant them in this land assuredly with my whole heart and with my whole soul. So now God is continually saying over and over, I will do them good. I will do them good. Then Jeremiah 33 verse 2 says, Thus says the Lord, the maker thereof, the Lord that formed it to establish it, the Lord is His name. Call unto me and I will answer thee. It's the next verse. Call unto me, and I will answer thee, and show thee great and mighty things which you knowest not. Then Jeremiah thirty-three verse six, uh, verse six, yeah. Behold, I will bring it, I will bring it health and cure, and I will cure them, and I will reveal unto them the abundance of peace and truth. He will heal them. The them is you. He will heal you and He will reveal unto you the abundance of peace and truth. You know one thing that many people is lacking is peace. In today, it's very difficult to find peace. The Bible talks about a peace that surpasses understanding. And many times we think that it's a peace that I don't understand. But that's not what it means. It's not for you to understand It's the people out there that won't understand It's actually a witnessing That people will look at you and say You have a peace that I cannot understand Because it doesn't make sense I know what you're going through And you still have peace I know the struggles you're facing But you still have peace God is showing here that He has a desire to give us and reveal to us the abundance of peace and truth. Peace and truth. Next verse. And I will cause the captivity of Judah and the captivity of Israel to return and will build them as at first. So that is the prophecy that we know, that He will rebuild Israel and Judah. That is what Nehemiah did. That is what Ezra did but remember this in Psalm 102 verse 16 it says for the Lord shall build up Zion and he shall appear in his glory that is the purpose of Zion is for the glory of the Lord to be revealed okay so Zion is us right so he wants his glory to be revealed within us that is his purpose So the moment that the Lord builds up Zion, that will be the moment that God appears in His glory. So where does God want to appear in His glory? Okay, let's just read that verse. Remember what I said in the beginning. I'm going to ask you to respond and then you must just respond. (laughs) But I didn't warn you, it's my fault. I'm warning you now. I'm going to ask you to respond. Where will God reveal His glory? In Zion. Okay, it's maybe because you didn't see the scripture. Psalm 102, verse 16. Psalm 102, verse 16. When the Lord shall build up Zion, he shall appear in his glory. So, where will he appear in his glory? In Zion. When will he appear in his glory? When Zion is built up. That is the promise. So the moment that He builds up Zion is the moment that He will reveal His glory. Okay? So let's go back to Jeremiah 33 verse 8. It says, And I will cleanse them from all their iniquity, whereby they have sinned against Me. And I will pardon them of their iniquities where they have sinned and where they have transgressed against Me. He's talking about forgiveness of sin. When does, what do we know about forgiveness of sin? It's something that took place at the cross. Then he says in verse 11, the voice of joy and the voice of gladness, the voice of the bridegroom and the voice of the bride, the voice of them that shall say, praise the Lord of hosts, for the Lord is good and His mercy endures forever. So in Jeremiah, and then finally verse 15, I'm just recapping what we've already read. Verse 15 In those days and at that time will I cause the uh, the branch of righteousness to grow up unto David and he shall execute judgment and righteousness in the land. So let me just summarize everything coming back to this. There's two letters that Jeremiah presents. One is open and revealed. One is sealed. Then these were purchase letters for the property that he purchased. These letters carried with them the right of redemption and the right of inheritance. And these things now belong to the one who has the letter. The right of redemption and the right of inheritance belong to the one who has these two letters. And the sealed letter is put in an earthen vessel. Okay. So two letters, right of redemption, right of inheritance, one is sealed, one is revealed and they are placed inside an earthen vessel. The Bible says that the evidence of this purchase is placed inside these earthened vessels. Now, let me show you the fulfillment of what Jeremiah prophesied quickly. It says in Ephesians 1 verse 2, Ephesians 1 verse 2. Uh, in the New King James Version, will be fine. It says, Grace be to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places in Christ just as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and without blame before Him in love, having predestinated us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to Himself according to the good pleasure of His will, to the praise of the glory of His grace by which He made us accepted in the Beloved. In Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of His grace. Next verse. Which he made to abound towards us in all wisdom and prudence, having made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in himself. Next verse. That in the dispensation of the fullness of the times he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on the earth in him. Next verse. In Him we also we have obtained an inheritance, redemption, inheritance, being predestinated according to the purpose of Him who works all things according to the counsel of His will. That we who first trusted in Christ should be to the praise of His glory. Next verse. In Him you also trusted after you heard the word of truth. Truth the Gospel of your salvation in whom also having believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. So are you you seeing the connection? Are you seeing the fulfilment of what's taking place? Who is the guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession to the praise of His glory. Here we see the fulfilment taking place of everything that Jeremiah prophesied. He said, now there is a guarantee. The seal is the guarantee of our inheritance. What does that mean? We have the right of inheritance until the redemption. There is redemption available for us of the purchased possession. We were purchased with a price to the praise of His glory. So we see now that there is a purchased possession that is sealed with the Holy Spirit until the purchased possession is redeemed. We see the fulfillment of everything that Jeremiah prophesied. Then it carries on and then we can read in 2 Corinthians 1 verse 20. 2 Corinthians 1 verse 20 And I said earlier that you must respond So when you say Amen, we'll get to that now You can just, okay Let me help you I'm going to ask you to say Amen And then when I ask you to say Amen You're going to say Amen, okay Say Amen Amen. Okay, you'll understand why now It says, for all the promises of God in Him are yes and in Him Amen. Amen just means so be it To the glory of God through us can you put it in the amplified classic for me? For all his promises, uh, for as many as are the promises of God, they all find their yes, the answer in him Christ. The answer, the yes, the answer is in Christ. For this reason we also utter the Amen, which is so be it, to God through Him in His person and by His agency to the glory of God. Verse 21. But it is God who confirms and makes us steadfast and establishes us in joint fellowship with you in Christ and has consecrated and anointed us, enduring us with gifts of the Holy Spirit. That's why I said earlier, you know what you carry. He has anointed you. He has consecrated you. He has given you gifts of the Holy Spirit. He has placed something within you. He has placed a gift within you. You need to begin to walk in that gift. Instead of waiting for somebody to do something, you go and do something. Have your seats. Then verse 21, 22, I just need to finish this. He has also appropriated and acknowledged us as His by putting His seal upon us and giving us His Holy Spirit in our hearts as the security deposit and guarantee of the fulfillment of His promise. He is the guarantee just like Jeremiah purchased that field and he placed all the documents of the purchase Inside an earthen vessel, as he instructed Barak, because that is the, the, the guarantee of the purchase, is the evidence of that price. So, the Holy Spirit is the seal of the purchase possession, He is the seal that is upon us. The Bible says that the Spirit witnesses with our spirit that we are the sons of God. There is a witnessing that takes place because of the seal of the Holy Spirit within us that confirms that there is a price that has been paid, that we have been purchased and redeemed. That seal is the guarantee. It is the security deposit. It means that you belong to Him. And as somebody belonging to Him, you carry redemption, you carry inheritance, you carry everything that He has promised, because His promises are yes and amen in Christ. How many of you know that you are in Christ? That means that all of His promises are yes and amen in Christ in you. It means nothing is impossible for you. Have your seats. So God has purchased us with His blood. And we are now carriers of His redemption, carriers of His inheritance, and sealed by the Holy Spirit. But I want to just close with this one verse, in Colossians 1, verse 26, in the New King James Version. And then I, I need to pray for some people. It says, He has, you can put yeah, the mystery which has, not ukulele, just relax. (laughs) I'll give you a word, here's the word. (laughs) You have been redeemed and purchased with a price and you carry the inheritance and you carry redemption and you carry gifts of the spirit within you that you carry and you can be used and you can minister and this is the word for everyone here. You carry redemption. You carry an inheritance. He has placed something within you that you need to begin to walk in. You need to know this so that you can walk as one purchased by a price. That there can be no doubts. That you can have an unshakable assurance of who you are and what you carry. So the mystery which has been hidden from ages and from generations but now has been revealed to His saints. What is that mystery? To them God willed to make known what are the riches of His glory, of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. The Bible says, For we have this treasure in earthen vessels, He has placed within us a treasure. He has placed within us a seal, a a security deposit that we have been purchased. What does that mean for you? It means there is no more oppression and bondage for you. It means there is no more sickness for you. It means there is no more lack for you. Why? Because my God is able to supply all your needs according to His riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Why? Because by His stripes you were healed. Why? Because the price has been paid. Every legal requirement against your life has been settled. The blood of Jesus Christ is an overpayment for anything and everything you could have done. There is nothing impossible for Him.